0: 1 Corinthians 13. It is the love chapter. Long before I knew anything about 1 John chapter 4, I knew about 1 Corinthians 13. All the Valentine's Day cards, if they're going to quote scripture, they're not quoting 1 John chapter 4 at all. They're quoting 1 Corinthians 13. Love, you know, love is kind, love is patient, all those things. Love believes all things and, and so forth. But it's important that you and I realize that 1 Corinthians 13 is really not the love chapter um, because, first of all, it doesn't mention love as much as 1 John chapter 4 does. Secondly, it is a a horizontal love. We mentioned this in February. Uh, It is not the greatest example of love. That's found here in 1 John. In fact... 13 times just in the six verses we're looking at tonight verses 7 through 12 the word love agape is found 13 times in first corinthians 13 it's only found nine times in the whole 13 verses so if somebody asks you where, where's the love chapter they probably mean and are expecting you to say first corinthians 13 but throw up throw them for a twist Let's say First John chapter 4, and they'll be like, what, what are you talking about? And then you can tell them about the love of God. So tonight, we are going to learn about love even more than we learned on Romance Day, February 14th, because we are going to talk about the love of God. And so once again, I've been hitting this from, John's been hitting this from different angles, and so we are too. So here's the point that has been impressed on my mind as I've studied this text. More and more, as the days go on, as the hearts of men wax worse and worse, the love of many grows cold, the people are getting farther and farther away from God and, and are becoming more and or less and less religious. So fewer people are going to church in America than ever before. But here's the point too. They have no concept of the love of God. They do not know. They're looking in all the wrong places to try to see the hand of a loving God. They're looking in their circumstances. They're looking in their environment. They're looking at their feelings. They're looking at how people treat them. They're looking at What's going on politically? You know, wars and rumors of wars. If you look to the world, you look at current events to try to see a loving God. You're looking in the wrong places. Is there a God in heaven? Absolutely. In fact, in our text, if you look at it, the um, the last section that we looked at in First John chapter four concluded in verse six with this statement. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is a a, a phrase and a term that John uses a lot. Hereby. Here's how we know. Here's how we know. We know. Over and over again, this word gnosko is to know. And various um, terms synonymous with that are used. So John isn't just writing about love. He's writing to teach us so we, that we can know. So he, he ends the last text that we looked at on verse 6, Hereby we know. Well, the next section that we're looking at tonight, he concludes in verse 13 with this, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and him in us. And then in the middle of this, this text we're looking at tonight is a very special text. Again, verse 7 through verse 12, And again, 13 times the word agape or love is used here. And it's not just explaining the nature of love, the character of love. That's 1 Corinthians 13. This is sharing with us what love is and how to find it. In fact, the the middle uh, verse 10 is the the middle verse of this text we're looking at. Three words. Here in is love. So you want to know love? Here it is. So next time you talk to someone who has no inkling that God is a loving God, and if you say that, they might think that is foolish, and they might say to you, I don't see the love of God. So you need to look in the right places, because God proclaims it from on high over and over and over again. Here in is love. So let's look. Right now, we're going to go scan through this. And look at these 13 times. Beginning in verse 7. And let me give you the outline. We're going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to see three things. And you remember the old time. Well, I don't know if it's old time. They probably still do it. The carnivals. Step right up. Come see the greatest show on earth. You know, I don't know what they call that ringmaster or whatever. But he, he's trying to draw people in come see the greatest show on earth, right this way, get your tickets. You know, you just imagine maybe it's at a carnival. But they're trying to get your attention directed to them because they have something on display. And, of course, if you've ever studied fascinating how the world of, uh, you know, carnivals, Uh, Ringling Brother and Barnum and Bailey, uh, it is sad if you've ever studied... Uh, The freak shows, what they call the freak shows. These human beings that they would put on display and make merchandise of them. By the way, now it's called cable television and I think it's called the learning channel where they they have these bizarre situations and they're feeding on that same fascination with oddities. Anything that would be considered strange that could get an audience. And so people are constantly trying to, you know, get us to bite, get us to pay attention to what they're peddling, I submit to you, we have got the greatest message in all the world. And it is the love of God. But here's the thing. God's love is on display. But you have to look in the right place. And that's what John shares with us where to look. Herein is love. Herein is love. So here's the outline. We're going to look at verses 9 through 10. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. Uh, here it is God's love on display, verses uh, 9 through 10. God's love on display at Calvary. That's it. Verses 7 and 8, we're going to go back. God's love on display by the regenerated. That is, those of us that name the name of Christ who have the Spirit of God within us, we also are showing the love of Christ by our love one for another. That should be so unusual, according to Jesus Christ. So unusual, so uncommon to the world, that the world will know just the fact that we are disciples of Christ by this unique feature of our love for one another. Now the world has a certain camaraderie, you know, even the, you know, even the publicans, Charlie looked at this verse within the last couple of weeks, even the publicans love one another and they do good to them that do, do good to them. And there's, you know, every aspect where there's a certain bond, whether it's a sports team or something in common that will unite people together, but nothing can match The love of Christ abiding in the believer's heart. And the world should be able to see it. Jesus tells the world and tells us, My love is on display in you Christians, you disciples. And then thirdly, God's love on display, not just by Christians, but then in verses 11-12, through should we have time tonight, God's love on display to the regenerated. In other words, he's not just showing his love to the whole world by saying, hey, here's where my love is, Calvary, and here's where my love is acted out in God's people, but he's also saying, and here's how you, my regenerated, can know that you have my love. So it's a little self-examination here. So let's jump right in and look at God's love on display at Calvary. Look at verse 9, 1 John 4, and verse 9 in this was manifested in this was manifested the love of god toward us because the god sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love this is twice he starts out verse 9 starts out verse 10 he's basically saying hey you want to see the love of god you want to you want to know where to look you want to know where, where you can see it, where it's manifested, here it is. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Here's how you're going to... You look anywhere else and you might get the wrong conclusion. For example, you might look at, you know, the, the immediacy of justice taking place. You know, and you might look around and see a lot of injustices take place and presume or assume that, well, there's no loving God because He's allowing this to take place. And in reality, God tells us, no, 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 no you're reading it wrong. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Now, He is saying, you know, I'm going to set things straight, and that you're going to see my love in that. This is a lot of injustices going on. But He says, but the Lord is long-suffering. Here's why He's holding off. It's actually because of His love. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So, if you're looking at the immediate circumstances, and by the way, that's, remember Ecclesiastes? Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's why a lot of people, they they run to the same conclusion too. There's no God, I can get away with evil, and so they plunge headlong into it, because he doesn't execute judgment right away. Don't take advantage of that. Or take advantage of it, but don't abuse it. So, God, in this was manifested the love of God. Manifested. Here's, here where, here's where God's love is on display. Step right up, folks. You want to see the love of God? Step right up this way and behold Calvary. Behold the cross of Jesus Christ. Behold a man, the God-man, dying on a cross for your sins. That is, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because the God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Folks, that's another John 3.16, isn't it? Would you say, would you agree with me? I think John 3.16 is probably the most popular verse in the scriptures. Can you? I think it is. I mean, hey, Tim Tebow wore it on his eyelids, didn't he? You know, he? The book, the best football players did that, and everybody. You know, they put placards around. I think it's probably the most popular verse, and it's a beauty, isn't it? It says the same thing. Here it is. By the way, that's the title of the message tonight. Here it is: the love of God on display. For God so loved the world. Just think of John three sixteen. The word "so" is the Greek word huto or "houtas." And it literally means in this way. God so loved the world. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. That could be your most important verse along with these others. A couple in this series I've composed four or five verses That are like they say the same thing as John 3.16. They're the gospel in a nutshell. They are God telling us where to look to find his love. So he doesn't just say it once, John 3.16. Says it here in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God. And then verse 10. Herein is love. He's saying it again. You want to know what love is all about? Here's love. By the way, when somebody refuses to to even look that way, if someone is so bent and angry at God and so bitter that they're not even going to look at Calvary, that's their own fault. They are purposely turning away from the thing that God emphasizes over and over again. This is how I'm showing you my love. Give God some respect to at least consider what He's talking about with that. Don't just dismiss it. I marvel when I first heard the Gospel, and it dawned on me the implications of the Gospel. I, I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again. Just, I want, this is a great illustration in my mind. because it, it, I remember hearing the Gospel, and at first, I just, I just chalked it up to religion. Oh, yeah, I heard the. I grew up on religion. You know, I went to church every Sunday. Didn't have a choice, right? Went to church every Sunday. I heard all this Jesus stuff and all this Christianity and the Bible. And, you know, I I, I had heard it endlessly. So a few weeks, every Saturday, going to a Bible study where the, the guy was just opening the Bible, I'm thinking, okay, this is same old, same old. And then it began to dawn on me the implications of what he was saying. This is what blew me away. Because there were other people coming to the same Bible study that their initial response was, oh, religion, I don't need it, no thank you. And they'd walk away. It began to dawn on me, wait a minute, wait a minute. The implications of what he is saying is so imperative. You cannot just dismiss it. It, you know, if you if you want to write off this person preaching this message, fine, but you better have ample evidence. And I liken it to this. Imagine that you walk into a deli, Philadelphia deli, and you're going you get a hoagie. No, you get a cheesesteak. I think that's the one I've used. Cheesesteak. Philadelphia cheesesteak. Order a cheesesteak in Philly. You're sitting down to eat it. All of a something someone all of a sudden some something distracts you and you look away from that mound of whatever you're ready to eat. You talk to someone, then you turn and you're getting ready to eat it, and the guy sitting next to you says, don't eat that. He's got wild eyes. And he implores you, he says, do not take a bite of that. It's poison. Are you going to just ignore that statement? (laughs) guy's losing it. I mean, that's pretty, that is a pretty dramatic claim. Is it not? Would you not do well to at least investigate a little bit to see if there's any validity in what he is saying? Maybe he's, maybe he's losing it. And maybe he's going around telling everyone. In fact, you would, you would do well to inquire. You, you look at the person taking the order. She looks at you and she goes, he's been saying that to everyone that comes in got some issues. Then you're like, okay, at least there's confirmation that my food's not really poisonous. But well, would you not be the ultimate fool if you didn't investigate it a little bit? You turn to him and say, well, what do you mean? Because he might say, when you turned and looked, see that guy over there? He walked up and he puts he had a vial with a skull and crossbone on it, and he poured it on your cheesesteak. In fact, look, there's a little coloring there. And you see that, you hear that, it makes sense. You see a little coloring. Are you going to now eat your cheesesteak? I hope not. Because the implications. Now here's the point. The Bible makes it very clear that God's love is on display at the cross. And if you don't give that enough validity, enough to hear it out, why is God's love specifically demonstrated at Calvary. Why is that a demonstration of God's love? Because we are sinners. We've all broken God's commandments. None of us are good enough to get to heaven, no matter how religious we are. And Jesus Christ came to be the substitutionary atonement for our sins. He paid our price. Literally, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made Him, God the Father made God the Son, He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's not talking about us, that's talking about Him. He knew no sin. Why did He do it? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the gospel. That's the love of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We we deserve judgment. When you understand that you have sinned against the Holy God, and you realize you're worthy of judgment. By the way, some people will never get to that point. They're so proud, so self-righteous. All they see is their own good deeds. But if you're willing to hear that message, understand and let the Spirit of God convict you. Once you get a sense that God is a holy God and He must must punish sin, all of a sudden, Calvary begins to clearly make sense. He loved me so much. He took care of the sin issue because I am a sinner. So, John 3.16, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, Herein is love. In this was manifested the love of God for us, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Here's some more. Another one, Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us. The word commendeth is the Greek word sinusname. It means to demonstrate or to establish. God commends his love. God demonstrates. God establishes. He's proving his love. How? He commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're doubting the love of God, you've got to not just glance at Calvary. You've got to fix your eyes on the cross and keep it there until you come away understanding why Jesus had to die for your sins. Here's another one. We already read this one, 1 John 3.16. By the way, it's pretty neat. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. That's easy to remember. And it's one of those ones about God's love. Listen to this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. The word perceive is the Greek word ginosko, which is also translated to know. Again, once again, God is saying, here's how you know my love. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. There it is. You want to know if God loves you? He's screaming it. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture is pointing us to the cross. Not to Mary, not to Joseph, not to Peter, not to James, not to John, not to your minister or religious leader, to Jesus Christ, Him alone. So we have John 3.16, Romans 5.8, 1 John 3.16, 1 John 4.9, 1 John 4.10, five verses, I mean those five verses are just screaming to get our attention. Now here's the, here's the problem though. If somebody came up to you that was a drug addict and they and you knew they were a drug addict and they said to you, I need your help. I really need your help. I need $50. Will you please Help me. Now, what are they looking for? Or they might just come out and let's say they're really honest. I need a fix. And it's $50. Would you help me? Now, you're being asked something. That person, think of, now they're perceiving. They can only see one thing and that is their need for the next high. And so in their mind, if you gave them what they asked for, they would think that you're being loving. Are you You're not, are you? Absolutely not. In fact to to help them and would enable them would be doing them more harm than good. But if you denied it, would you be loving them? See, you understand and you're you're disagreeing. They don't they think the thing they need is the money, so they can get the fix so they can get the high. That's what they're thinking you know what they really need. Folks, it's in in many ways. You and I are trying to tell a lost and dying world that what they need is forgiveness of sins that are going to come through Jesus Christ. But they're not looking, they're not interpreting that as love because they don't think they need God. They don't think, they don't understand that they are sinners. They don't have a conviction of sin. And so, they're just looking at, you know, if God is real, he's not making my life happy right now, and that's all they're looking at. I remember when I first got saved, remember hearing this, uh, and then it seems like in Bible-believing churches, I never heard this growing up in the religion that I was part of, but in gospel-preaching churches where they preach the need for being born again at salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I hear many older people, and now I'm one of them, but they, they would say uh, a, a child gets his first, I forget how it's worded, they've worded it many ways, but that children will really, at a young age, they'll get their impersonation of God by their understanding of their parents. If, if, and I, I, I think this is true that when people have a hard upbringing and they don't have a, a good father figure or even a, you know a good parental authority, they usually end up getting a skewed perspective of God. And I have I have found that to be true. With that in mind, that it puts some pressure on us as dads and as moms that. Just loving our kids. It's the first example. And and look at it. God uses that as examples of His love. Does He not? Over and over again, He uses a father's love or a mother's love to demonstrate His love. You know, what child that wants a fish, is the parent going to give him? you know, that whole exchange? And there's so many others where God likens. He uses this father role. How important it is for people understand they have a loving heavenly father but they have to understand what real love is If they don't think they need to be saved if they have no concept of sin god has to open their eyes to that i've shared with you that i've shared shared the gospel several people i remember sharing the gospel with and their response was and and i I think that as the Lord's drawn people they get a tender heart. Sometimes their response to the gospel is, you know what I know, I really need to start going to church. And I've I've gotten that response multiple times when I never said anything about going to church. It's not the gospel, you know. I mean, I don't I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says you you come to church and you're going to become a Christian. You know, the the, the old joke that is now way beaten to death is you don't become a Christian by sitting in a church any more than you become a car by sitting in a garage. You shouldn't be laughing. That's so repeated so many times. But it's true, is it not? There's no place in the Bible that says you got to get to church. But, I, I, again, I'm not being too hard on those people because I think sometimes the Lord's just convicting them. They know they're not church-going. They know that they have no fear of God, and, and that's, that's their first step. But, folks, getting saved is not going to church. Getting saved is entering a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So, you and I, as we look through this text, and we'll be picking up with this again next week, no doubt, I'm reminded of it as a parent. And I shared this Wednesday night, this past Wednesday on Zoom, my message was um, our children, because um, just know, just all of us are grieving, and all of us are are we're walking with Bill and Jen through this. You know, we're I'm putting myself in their place, and uh, it's it's tearing me apart, and I know some of you it's it's tearing you apart. I mean, I'm praying, and. It's like it happened to my own son. And I know it did not. But what a blessing it's been to me as I think of the Allis family going through this. And I have seen, and, and this is a blessing to me, that uh, I have heard, so touching to me, that Ethan, or excuse me, that Tyler and Billy, every day they've been taken off work, and they just go, and they're sitting with Jen by Ethan's side. I mean that just, and this is Jen said. This the kids. I think they were already very close, but they're just they're they're getting closer through this. That thrills my heart. That thrills my heart. And and I know that Bill and Jen have been an example. And I you know praise the Lord. I I'll close with this, and I've shared this. Probably every one of you here have heard this story. But in the 80s, way, way back, at Bible Baptist Church, I was a young teen coming to church, and I heard about this thing called men's prayer meeting. This is ridiculous. The men of the church would wake up, and I think they came to church at like 6.30 in the morning. Isn't that right, Jim? 6.30? He was there. And Bill Ollis' dad was there. And I, and I remember, in fact, most there weren't many young guys like me there. Ray Paget was there. We'd come together. Uh, they were mostly older men that were just praying for the people of the church. And either Mr. Kerr or Billy, excuse me, Mr. Ellis would would say, pray for Jimmy and Billy. Jimmy being Jim's son, Billy being Billy's son. Billy was, was I guess they were both kind of wayward at the time, weren't they? Yeah, and then who would know? Because I remember hearing that every week. They didn't even have to say it. If they ever missed a Sunday, I don't think you guys missed a Sunday. One of you would say it through all the prayer requests. And so I remember praying for month after month after month for whoever this Billy Ollis was. Little did I know that he'd be part of our church for decades. And, and God up there in heaven, he knew as I'm praying, Lord, I don't know who Billy Ollis is. I don't know who Jimmy Kerr is, but would you please work? And I had no idea. And God's up there saying, you know what, Billy Ollis Now, Bill, there's another Billy Allis that's come along that's a young guy, but he's going to be part of your church for decades, my church. I, would, I wasn't even thinking I'd be a pastor, but isn't God amazing? Because he knows all those things. And now God has given us a burden to pray for a family. We're going to pick up with this, folks, but I want to drill it in your heads. And we've already hit this point many times. I hope you never get sick of it. Talking about the love of God. Five verses I have given you tonight. Five verses that say, here's where to look. You look anywhere else, you're rejecting where God says to look. And that's His love. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, I just pray, thanking you for the privilege of being a dad. And I pray that every young man, every young couple in our church, should you want that, would would get that privilege. I think of Christine and Travis, and um, they're in vitro, that they just did. And I pray, Father, that uh, pray that pray that she would be able to get pregnant and have children. Father, what a blessing it is to me to be a dad to have four human beings on this earth that that I'm able to have fellowship with and thank you Lord for the support I think of others in our church that have lost loved ones I think of all the people that rallied around Mr. Kerr at Betsy's funeral and all the grandkids and all the kids that just literally swarmed him And are wrapping him with love. Thank you for family. And most importantly Father. Thank you for the family of God. Your family. And I pray that we would bask in your love. That we would talk a lot about your love. That we would point others to your love. At Calvary. That many would be saved. And that their lives would be transformed. We ask your blessing. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Let's all take our hymn books. Please stand and we will open in song.